Welcome to episode 33 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton, and we are in a very different situation than we were last time we spoke. Uh, I think in last episode, I predicted that we would see at least one win from the Blue Jays, and uh, we've got two. And the most recent one we're talking about tonight is a, you know, a pretty decisive one and one that it, it feels kind of like the opposite of what the Blue Jays have had recently. Like they had the luck, the Yankees, you know, they went one for 10 with runners in scoring position today. The Blue Jays got a totally bullshit home run to the right field porch. <laughs> uh, it was a couple things going their way, which has absolutely not been the case in recent weeks. It seems like Stoughton, what's the, uh, what's jumping out to you about this thing? Cause there's a, there's a lot to chew on here. There, there is. I mean, it's a, you, you say it's a decisive one. I think I heard Dan Schulman signing off the broadcast, calling it a convincing win. And it's like, I mean, you know, sure. <laughs> and so much as a baseball win can be decisive or convincing. I, I think, I mean, it was, uh, it wasn't real tense. It was so, uh, you know, so breezy that they were able to have Yusei Kikuchi pitch an inning, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which was hilarious. And, uh, and, and, you know, just a small subset of the many things that went on in this one. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was great to see. It was great. The team, I, I mean, it, you don't want to get too deep into like narrative stuff, but the team does feel different when George Springer is there and looks healthy and has, I mean, anybody having a five hit night is going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to make your team look better, but it's just, it, it's, it, it is a bit of a different lineup when he's there. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the three, in my view, the three players whose performance really stood out today, and I'm going to leave Vladdy off that list just because, you know, it was a good home run for him to get, and he hasn't actually had that many of those big hits with a ton of guys on, but we all know it was sort of a you know a fly ball to right field. Um, but the three guys whose performances really stood out is, you know, it's Springer, it's Barrios, and it's Kikuchi. And coming into this game, you had plenty of reason to feel not very good about any of those players. Now, Springer, that's just a health issue. Like, you're worried, you know, he's playing hurt to some degree, How's the performance going to be? And it's not like he hit, you know, massive 450-foot dingers, but also it's pretty hard to argue with five hits. Uh, Barrios was was fantastic. You know, his one inning was a bit of a weird one where he gave up some free base runners that he didn't really need to. And then I thought, he, you know, he manages the damage pretty well in that inning in the end. I think you're happy to get away with just two. That's the type of situation where the star can truly unravel. And then, you know, Kikuchi at the end, uh, you know, I don't know that we expected to see him so soon. Like, it it felt like they were burying him in the bullpen. And I guess you just never know when a low-leverage situation will come to light and a guy will have his chance to have his first ever MLB relief outing. But that is the thing that really stands out about this game is you had reason to be pessimistic about all the guys who ended up being the star performers in this one. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, the um, you know, yeah, Barrios can't say enough about that. He looked uh, like the good version of Barrios, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think you know, you felt the mood on Twitter shift when that uh, when he made that error and and, uh, and, and the inning started going sideways on him a bit. Uh, and then it really, he really has been bitten by a lot of those innings this year, and then it didn't allow that to happen this time. Which you know, uh, as we all know, you know. It's a game of inches. It's not necessarily a matter of will, but nonetheless, he uh, he executed his pitches really well and and, uh, and and got the job done as he did throughout the whole rest of the night. And you know, Springer 
some of the hits, the exit velocities weren't so high, but others, I think, you know, there was a 107, there's one above 110, maybe like they like he hit the ball pretty hard. So it wasn't just cheap hits. And, uh, for a guy who, you know, we joked and, and, and kind of worried about last time about how he is, it's not, it's not even about pain management. It's about not showing that he's injured so much. So people just don't talk about it. Uh, to see, you know, in a metric that really does measure, you know, how hard he's striking the ball, that that's, that, you know, he's doing what, is physically doing what he should be doing in those, you know, when he's putting the bat in the ball. Uh, that was great to see too. And, and Kikuchi, I mean, it's tough. Uh, I know it was really fast and I, I would like, I, I did not think they would do it, but also if you can't pitch Kikuchi in that situation, when can you pitch him? Um, and it, it was, you know, John Schneider's comments were interesting about how they're going to tread lightly with him at first. And I think that, you know, obviously they're going to do that. Uh, obviously, as we said last time, it's about, uh, you know, limiting the, 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 the damage that he could do. And that's, you know, that he's got to stay in that sort of role for the rest of the way. But, uh, uh, that was a tread lightly kind of spot. I mean, I know games can kind of get out of hand in Yankee Stadium sometimes, but, uh, uh, you know, they had, they had the guys in the bowl. Obviously, Jordan Romano had to pitch, apparently, which seemed a bit odd. But, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a fine spot for him. And, and it, it started a bit shaky for sure. Uh, but, uh, but he acquitted himself really well. And like, I saw your tweet. He, he, uh, threw a ton of fastballs. He sort of did the thing that we've been hoping for him to do all along. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 17 pitches, 13 are fastballs. The average velocity on that fastball is up 1.4 miles per hour. That's not massive. Sometimes you see bigger ones, guys going from starters to relief, but also, you know, he has very little experience in that role. And so he's still figuring that out. It wouldn't shock me if he was able to go even a little higher, but he just wasn't that, you know, I know that some of the pitches were off, but he wasn't too fine with it either. Like he really attacked the zone, even on the hit he gave up, you know, if, if anything, he got too much of the zone and, you know, that is a, him getting too much of the zone with the fastball is exactly the mistake that you want to see from him at this point. Yeah, because it's, it, it's so counterintuitive. I understand maybe why he struggled with it, but that's—I mean—that's what we've wanted to see all year. Yeah, that's yeah, and that, the Robbie Rayish kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's the trust the stuff. It's the this guy has so much heat from the left side that he can make quote unquote mistakes. And a lot of the time he's going to get away with it. And sometimes it seems like whether it's a mindset thing, he's pitching as if he throws 92 and it's like, no man, you're throwing 95, 96 from a side that guys aren't used to seeing that just put it over the plate and hope for the best. And that's sort of what he did in this inning. And that was really impressive. I think there was, it's, it's funny how quickly the sentiment around a player can shift, right? Like, you know, I think Blue Jays fans were pretty fed up with Kikuchi and rightfully so uh, in recent days and weeks. And I don't, and that's not like people were slamming him as a person or anything, but all of a sudden, you know, he gets some reactions from his teammates. He goes out there in a different role. He does well in literally one outing. Like the storybook has not closed on this by any means. And people are, you know, jokingly, but mentioning like Andrew Miller on, on, on Twitter and they're, and suddenly everyone's behind him and their tweets about how he's like a, he seems like a nice guy and you got to pull for him and all. And it's like, I, don't, I feel like not a lot of people are saying that you had to pull for him a couple of weeks ago. No, I, I don't think they were. And, uh, you know, the, you've seen some, you know, people un- understandably frustrated with him. And, uh, you know, and it's tough. It, it, that was a really tough situation. And for to see him, you know, I, I like nobody's putting him in a lever, like high leverage situations at this point. Um, but to, to, you know, he'll, 
they'll 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 ratchet it up a little bit. You know, we'll go along and see how it goes. He's not going to be the first guy called out of the bullpen for sure. Uh, it's an experiment, uh, and uh, you know maybe he'll get to a place where you know he could do that without the uh, the, the four pitch walk or whatever it was at first, or the five pitch walk, uh, and the and the little seeing eye single, which wasn't you know not a huge deal, obviously, but uh, uh, but that's the thing about him. That's the thing about you know him as a reliever. If he has that stuff where he trusts it and can put it over the plate, which is of course the huge if. Uh, you know, be able to get that swing and miss. That's what the bullpen has lacked, right? It's like you can you can give up a couple walks, you can give up the odd hit. If you can do that, if you can get guys to swing and miss enough, uh, it's going to make you kind of a, a weapon as a reliever. And that's a word we're way we're way way away. From. A long a long way to go. But yeah. that being said, you know, trust can be gained and lost very quickly in a bullpen. You know, arguably more quickly than it should be, to be honest, based on what we know about sample sizes and, you know, relievers being so volatile. It seems like sometimes we're very quick to jump off the train or onto a new bandwagon uh, based on three or four outings. And that might not necessarily be fair. That being said, like, would it shock you if in a couple of weeks you felt better about him than Trevor Richards? Like, it, you know, it wouldn't take too long to cross that threshold. The bar's Could, on the floor there, but yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, that's the next man up. Would it be, you know, astounding if he was able to get ahead of Zach Pop, for instance? Like, again, I'm not saying that he will. This is one outing. It is easy to get carried away about something like this, but. It was a, it went about as well as you'd expect, and because the bullpen kind of lacks for high ceiling, top end, elite talents, and because of some of the raw ability he brings to the table, I, you know, I don't think he's going to be the seventh or eighth inning guy. Maybe he doesn't have time to do that. But the idea that he is only going to be this pure mop up guy for the rest of the season, I could definitely envision a scenario where he's able to, you know, at least climb a couple of rungs on that ladder. You know, he's not unseating Garcia or uh, Bass or anyone like that necessarily, but there's definitely room for him to, to carve out a role, which is a wild thing to say, because, you know, I think if you'd asked, for example, before tonight, he said, you know, the quote was that he had been willing to go down to AAA to sort of work on his starting there, you know, before seeing this outing, I think you could have made a pretty good argument that that would be more beneficial to the team. Just don't use a roster spot on him and uh, let him do that and figure out the rest of the team. And yet, you know, he comes out and he shows a little promise. And all of a sudden, here we are talking about how, yeah, he can un- unseat the mighty Trevor Richards. <laughs> I mean, again, uh, yes. But it- it could go. It could. It could all go so very badly, though. In like the next one, too. Like, uh, that, oh, absolutely. They go wild to build confidence for sure. Um, and partly, I wonder if not sending him down, even though they said, "Oh, we could. You could help the team more here." It's also like, well, then, then what happens if we do need to call up a, a guy to give us some length, and we don't want you to be that guy? Uh, that could be. A, that, that could be just avoiding a more a more difficult situation down the line, because obviously, you know, it's a, this is a guy on a. On a uh, on an expensive contract, but you know, uh, a decent release. You know, the 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 contract's front loaded. It's ten million next year, ten million the year after. I mean, you're kind of wish casting at this point. Still, obviously, one outing, man alive. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. But also, I mean, that's that is more manageable. You could get some use out of that, even if you can't use him in the rotation. And next year, you'll probably you'll probably look to 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 build him up to be a starter again and and see where that goes. But uh, but for now, yeah, you gotta you, 
the best case I think was like we talked last time was to bury him in the pen and then see what happens. And uh, it was a good first step. It was hardly perfect, but it was a, you know, it was not a wholly discouraging first step. I think we're entitled to a little wish casting just based on uh, how the last little bit has been. Yeah. Uh, it's okay to embrace that feeling. I do want to circle back on Barrios a little bit because I do think that this was um, a really impressive outing. You know, the swing and miss has shown up even against some decent lineups at times, but it's always encouraging to see it because it was such a problem earlier in the year. One thing I was interested in this outing is I think there's a lot of chatter about you know, Barrios's forcing fastball is broken and guys have been mashing it for the last couple of years. To be clear, you know, he doesn't have elite velocity or movement on it. It's never going to be an unbelievable pitch, but it was the pitch he used the most today. And I thought it looked pretty good at times, you know, sometimes against uh, a Josh Donaldson who looks a little bit more washed than we're used to seeing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he wasn't necessarily destroying Aaron Judge or anyone with that pitch. But it is interesting to see him thrive in a start where he really did lean on that pitch when people have talked about phasing it out and you know how the sinker and curveball work better together. I thought his changeup had some really nice moments in this game too. And that pitch is a little bit of an afterthought for him sometimes. He got four whiffs, throwing it just nine times, a big 3-2 strikeout with it. He's had such trouble with left-handed hitters, not just this year, but also the previous season, that if that pitch can improve even a little bit. And, you know, there's a little bit of that with Manoa as well. But uh, if he can bring that pitch along a little bit or just gain more confidence in it, you know, it's maybe not reinvent the wheel, but there is uh, a lot of potential for him to just survive against lefties, right? Like it's it's not necessary. His repertoire is always going to play much better against righties because it's very horizontal. But uh, I was encouraged by what I saw from the changeup as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think that... Uh... Uh, I know uh, Chris Black of Sportsnet was talking about it on Twitter earlier in the day, like even right on right changeups uh, uh, can be useful for him. Uh, we saw a graphic during the broadcast about how uh, off-speed stuff is uh, Aaron Judge is not crushing off-speed stuff like he is breaking balls and fastballs. Uh, and I think, you know, he, we saw some changeups to Judge as well, which is, uh, I think, smart. Uh, and yeah, it's, it looked like a nice pitch. He had everything going. I really am glad that you know there there is a narrative out there with among in some corners where it's like, oh, he you know he beat up on the AL Central. This is you know this is kind of like not serious stuff, but I still see people taking it serious. But you know, like oh, all his all his numbers when he faces good teams, he's he's bad. When he faces bad teams, he's good. And it's all been an illusion. The the years and years of consistency have all been an illusion. And now that he's in the AL East, he's uh, he, he's having a more, a more difficult time, which I think is, is, is complete nonsense. But also, uh, it's nice to see it. Uh, it manifests itself as nonsense because you know that's a, the, even though the Yankees aren't going as well right now uh, as they could be or as they have been. Uh, you know, if you're making your argument based on clothes, then uh, then then you got to take the good with the bad. And uh, that was a good start against the Yankees in the Bronx. So. Uh, good for him for that, and you know, string a few more of those along. I, the, the the my confidence in Barrios will be built up more quickly than my confidence in Kikuchi. That's for sure. Yeah, you you always are going to be inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt because we know the quality of stuff, we know the quality of the track record. You know, I, I've never really bought into the notion that he's a product of the AL Central. Like you said, that seems a bit silly to me. We're talking about you know six hundred plus inning track record of being sort of a very good number two quality pitcher it's impossible to fake that in my view. Like, you know, yeah. these are all MOB hitters. Uh, we know that the AL East can be difficult, but I think also 
Um, in Blue Jays world, maybe we overemphasize that sometimes because it, it, it works as a handy excuse when things are not going well for the Blue Jays, especially, you know, pre the Blue Jays having a team of the quality that they have now. But in sort of the 2000s, there was a lot of like, oh, well, this is actually a good team, uh, but we're in the AL East, so we're not. And well, that was, oh, that was coming from the top. I mean, JP Ricciardi was outright saying that at the time, right? So. I mean, you got to try and keep your job somehow. And uh, I can respect that. It was, I mean, not that he was a great from a PR perspective, definitely not his strength, Uh, but he was trying out there. You got to try moving away from this game a little bit. um, The other big, you know, I'd say the biggest event that we kind of missed was the, the Ross Stripling. It would probably be a stretch to call it a near perfect game. That might be a little bit far, but a heck of an outing from this guy. And we like we talk about how you want to believe in Barrios, sort of it doesn't take long for you to say, okay, I know how good this has been. I'm seeing with my eyes how good it is in this particular moment. It only takes one or two starts for you to feel like you're back on board. Ross Stripling has always been the exact opposite of that. It's like, man, no matter how good this guy is, I have a hard time believing it. And yet here he is coming off the IL and he immediately puts together this incredible start. Do you think there's a big takeaway from that? And also like, was there a moment where you let yourself believe that something, you know, historic was going to happen there? Uh, The latter, not, not really. Uh, It was certainly, it was fun, obviously, but, uh, but yeah, to your, to your other point, like, I mean, it does, it does take a lot for me as well to, uh, to really to really believe in what Stripling is doing, and uh, part of that is just you know from uh, from last year how he really seemed to think uh, have you know things clicked for him a bit last year, and then he got hurt and came back and was not the same. Um, but this year, really, I mean, I think uh, you know Saris had a, a piece on like the guys who made the biggest jump in stuff plus for the Athletic this week, and and Stripling was among one of the you know one of the leaders there, which is like a, a tangible thing, especially this many innings deep into a season, and a thing that like. Like that—that's really meaningful to to like have your. I mean, the, 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 I don't even know what goes under the hood in that metric, but but uh, but to have that tick up is uh, good things happen, and I think uh, I, and I don't think that that's like that. There, there's not like flukiness there. It's that you're you know the shape and the and the velocity and everything of your pitches and the movement is uh, is is like tangibly measured by that and uh I, yeah i i kind of buying in a bit on him and it, it's taken a while i'm still not you know i'm i'm working on something with you now kikuchi's relief appearance is going to set me back but but i'm <laughs> sort of like looking long term about what how this how this all is going to shake out uh you know beyond this season uh, and then there's all these questions about, you know, do you give them, I mean, more fan questions, I, I would say, than industry questions. I know we've talked about it, but, like, do you give him the qualifying offer? Like, what does Ross Stripling's next contract look like? And does he fit into that space where, you know, you got Barrios and Manoa and Gosman and you got Mitch White and Kikuchi and you got some interesting arms at double A right now and you're probably, Nate Pearson's probably a, a reliever from this point. You probably they they could use bringing back a Ross Stripling. Uh, is he pricing himself out of them? I, out, out of like their 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 plans? I don't know. It's an interesting question because I, I mean, just not the kind of guy the industry typically values, uh, just because the lack of velocity and, and the age and the track record is not as you know as a full fledged starter isn't really there. 
but uh, but it's real interesting. And I, you know, the more the more you see games like that, I mean, that makes it a little bit easier to believe, obviously. Yeah, this statement is going to seem like an oversimplification, but after he took a perfect game deep into that uh, last outing, I feel like I'm believing more in Stripling than ever. Um, but no, I mean, you mentioned the stuff plus, you know, there have been some real changes in the repertoire. The change up is something that's been way better and he's leaned on it a lot. It's been a fantastic pitch for him. Um, you know, starting to believe in that. Uh, people want to throw out the Marco Strada comparison. It's not quite in that league necessarily. But the thing with Stripling is the lack of velocity makes it hard. And as a result, there's a lack of strikeouts. But you also have to recognize that, one, you know, we're better at tracking contact management than ever, thanks to StatCast stuff. And that all looks very good. Like he's keeping uh, the worst contact down. And he, as a result, you see very few home runs. He's also not walking anybody. Like in his last... I'm looking at it here. Like in his last uh, nine starts, he hasn't walked more than one hitter in any of those outings. So even if you don't have an elite strikeout rate, if you're just not putting anyone on base, that's a really good way to you know, mitigate that issue. And last year he had that run where it's like, man, he looks really good. And over this period of time, his ERA is in the twos. And it feels like he's really stabilizing this rotation. But it's important to remember that that run was approximately, this might not be the exact number, but something in and around 42 innings. And so what we're seeing now is he's up at 89 innings for the season now. So it's easy to say, oh, this feels very similar to what we saw last year, and that didn't end up being a thing. But the reality is that it's stretched on for significantly longer. And now, yeah, it's getting hard to form a counter-argument to the idea that Stripling is good other than he's Ross Stripling, which isn't totally uncompelling, but it, but True. but it seems like one side of the equation is looking heavier than the other right now. Yeah, and uh, and as you said, I mean, the, to do it in the first start off the IL, which, as I mentioned, like last year, that really seemed to derail him. Uh, and then to come back and, and have the outing that he did. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's impressive stuff. It's I, 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 I'm confounded by what a team is going to do with him next year. I, I still don't. I mean, I think Mitch White and Mitch White was also mentioned in Eno's piece as a guy who can be, you know, a stripling esque with with more uh, with more velocity, less command. Which, uh, hey, if the Jays are thinking that way, that that's that's cool by me. I think you're you're absolutely right about the contact management stuff. The pitch mix has changed a bit. And uh, and just keeping guys off base by not walking anybody that I mean White might not be able to replicate that but uh, the ingredients are there to have a guy who is maybe undervalued by the industry and we've seen the Jays you know we've seen the Jays put together a bullpen with kind of those sort of hallmarks uh, probably to their detriment but uh, definitely have seemed to be more willing than a lot of teams to uh, to take on guys who don't have the big velocity and, and are, 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 will appreciate other things about them, other qualities. So maybe there's a qualifying offer in the cards for Ross Stripling. Um, or maybe, you know, I know it's not the Estrada changeup, but also maybe there's something like the, the Estrada deal where they, they put the QO on him and then uh, and then he's sort of compelled to take uh, a multi-year deal from them. And, and I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm talking about the offseason season. Other than I'm, it's in my head because I've been writing about it, but like right now when we're <laughs> playing the Yankees and they're in the thick of a playoff race, uh, but yeah, Stripling. I mean, a lot of trust for him going down the stretch, and that's uh, that's that's really really huge. And uh, we talked last time about um, about on the offensive side about projection busters and how you know they really kind of need some of those. 
uh, especially that Kirk's gone quiet and Espinel's gone quiet. Well, they definitely have one in Ross Stripling on the pitching side. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we don't necessarily have to dive deep into the offseason side of it. I'm sure we will cover that at a later date. But it has gotten interesting, and it is noteworthy that we kind of brought this conversation up kind of jokingly in the past. And we were both, I would say, relatively justifiably quite dismissive of the idea of, uh, you know, qualifying offer for him. And it just seemed like the logical move that the Blue Jays were going to kind of move on from him and getting Mitch White seemed to add to that. But it is it is becoming a murkier and murkier picture. But the picture in the short term uh, is that Stripling is someone that they can rely on to give them, maybe not deep into ball games, but give them quality innings. And that's something that's been elusive. And part of the reason that's been elusive is that there's a little bit of uh, Alec Manoa wobbliness that has gone on of late. Um, and the most recent start against the Orioles was, you know, the wheels kind of came off in the middle of it. And when you look at, you know, this is the last 11 starts for Alec Manoa. You've got a 390 ERA with a 423 FIP. That's not great. You know, over his last five outings, he's never gone more than six innings. That's sort of been his hallmark is pitching deep into games. He hasn't done that. Uh, this stat is, is kind of specific, but I think it's telling too. He's only got five starts in his career where he's walked four or more batters, and three of those five have come in his last seven starts. So he's starting to put guys on base, which is really significant because part of the reason he's been able to survive his big drop in strikeouts this year is by walking far fewer hitters and you know hitting far fewer hitters. And so giving away a little bit more of the free base runners has been a problem for a guy who's been giving up a fair amount of contact. Where are you landing on the general Manoa concern level? Yeah, I, I, I mean, those starts are pretty, uh, are pretty compelling. About you know maybe, uh, you know maybe skipping a, a start if you can use an off day to do that at some point. I mean, maybe that's too weird. Maybe that's not, uh, not the message you want to send to him. You want to you know keep pushing him through. Um, they have been very public, and we talked about this last time about like the. That there are no restrictions on innings for him. They're like, oh, he's a big dude. He's going to be fine. The arm, like the arm's always fine. Uh, you know, we don't see the. I mean, I think the stuff plus earlier in the year. I know you know had a piece about stuff plus and how he was you know one of the well, the lower end of like some of the biggest droppers over like whatever stretch of starts. Uh, didn't pop up in the most recent one, um, but I you know I I don't know that the, the I, I think you have you've looked into this right the the there's less movement on the on the slider at this point or uh, there there are some there are some red flags in there absolutely and and the reddest of them are you know just literally looking at the ERA and the and, and the, the walk numbers and such when uh, over the last ten eleven starts yeah I don't know it could it, it perhaps could not hurt to. Uh, uh, to get to to skip a start for him here or there, though that's also you know, all these games are really really important at this point too. So I, I, I'm not sure, but uh, I mildly mildly concerned. But also you know, if Barrios can get on track, I feel really good about Gosman, even though you know some of the contact management hasn't been great and the Babbitts haven't been great. Um, I don't know that you need Manoa to be your ace, but you'd sure prefer it. And if there's anything you can do to help, you know, facilitate that, obviously you'd, you'd like it. But also, it's a young guy who might, you know, run out of gas a little bit. I mean, I don't think that that's offside to to consider the possibility of. 
Yeah, I mean, the explanation of this is a large human may not be sufficient uh, in terms of whether a guy can wear down under a workload. Like, yes, he's he's big. That doesn't make him immune to uh, the rigors of a long season. I don't think that's unfair to say. Uh, it, it is but interesting. It's about, uh, about, about height and, and how well it <laughs> measures heart. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, I don't know. I'd say, you know, it's maybe like a, a yellow light situation right now. Like you said, I don't, you know, they need the games badly. Like even this start, this stretch that I'm describing is it's far from a disastrous stretch. He's keeping them in games. They have an offense that's good enough to win, even if those are the numbers he puts up for the rest of the year, even though you'd, you'd like to see him do significantly better than that. You know, he, his statistical profile has always been a little bit confusing because he's been so good at, managing contact when he doesn't necessarily strike you as the guy who you know paints the corners and therefore forces guys you know out of the zone and to hit things where they don't want to hit him like he can be a bit scattershot with his command at times which you would think would result in more home runs and more hard contact than it does so part of his success has always been a little bit you know i don't know difficult to believe is a stretch because he's clearly talented and that slider in particular is amazing i don't want to downplay that but you know what he was doing earlier in the year when he's you know he had the era flirting around too like i don't think that was ever really him or at least where he is right now in his development so you know it's not shocking to see the pendulum swing a little bit what i'm going to be looking for going forward is the is the walks and the free passes because i do think that if the strikeouts are going to go down and it seems like, you know, the strikeouts are just not where they were last season, you know, he's about two strikeouts per nine off of last year's pace. That's pretty significant. The walks really need to come down too uh, in order to maintain it. And for most of the season, they absolutely have been down because the hard contact, you know, he can't induce much softer contact than he's already doing and did last season. So, that's the big stat that I'm going to be watching. You know, we were very accustomed to watching his hit by pitch numbers. Uh, <laughs> so that's one that we can also watch. But I, yeah, I think I would feel comforted by where he is if I saw him, yeah, throw together, you know, a stripling. This is weird. I'm saying I wish Manoa would throw together a stripling like stretch, but here you go. Uh, I wish to, I'd see him throw together a stripling like stretch of not walking anyone. That would make me feel more comforted that he's where he needs to be, even if. He gets some bad BABIP stuff and the results aren't necessarily where they need to be. But as you said, earlier in the season, the notion was maybe uh, a little bit unfair to Gosman, but the notion was that Manoa was sort of the big game guy, the you know the leader of the staff, the person you could count on. And the way things are shaping up potentially for the rest of the, the rotation, including strangely Ross Stripling, um, that isn't as necessary as it used to feel, especially early in the year when the Jays simply weren't scoring runs. So you would, as the Blue Jays, love to see Manoa get back to where he was in you know April, May. But A, that might not be realistic. And B, uh, it might not necessarily matter because they don't, like, there's more room for error now, potentially. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely true. And I, I would say this, and I know that this is something that's been highlighted elsewhere. I definitely remember it in, like, the, the fan graphs, uh, like countdown of the best or the most like tradable contracts or whatever, or the least tradable contracts or whatever, whatever the hell that thing is where they had him, I had him McClanahan and they were like, you know, part, part of those strikeouts going down is a bit of a move towards efficiency, which I think was definitely true when he wasn't walking guys. And that, you know, that, that argument holds less water when you are starting to walk guys. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right in, in, uh, in, in zeroing in on the walks as, 
uh, as a, a real strong indicator of where he's really at. Before we get out of here, I want to uh, touch a little bit on an alternate timeline because that's, you know, it's, it's a podcast. There's going to be hypotheticals, but you know, you could argue that the biggest thing that's happened since we last talked was the way that win on Wednesday materialized. And it seemed for a moment there that they were potentially wasting a raw stripling, you know, perfect game <laughs> bid. We'll call it that. Yeah. They were potentially on the verge of getting swept by the Orioles and possibly falling out of a playoff spot. And that could have all happened in one day. And on the Tuesday, we had already recorded a podcast at what seemed like you know, the a rock bottom E time for the Blue Jays, and it certainly feels like that now with the benefit of these games that have happened since. What do you think happens if they lose that game? One, do you think it's a big deal? And uh, maybe it's not even worth hypothesizing on this component of it, but like where does the discourse around the Blue Jays go if they manage to lose that game and George Springer doesn't get his fir- you know, the first pinch hit of his career, which is a very odd statistic for a guy... Uh, of his level of accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, oh man. I would, I would have been, I would have been off Twitter so fast if that, <laughs> that game had gone the other way. I mean, I don't think I was on it a ton afterwards anyway, but it was because, partly because, I mean, the discourse has been real poisoned since, uh, you know, since things have just sort of not been going their way. And the Orioles series is obviously, you know, I mean, I can sit here and say, oh, it's baseball and there's a lot of randomness all you want. But it's like, I mean, and that, that some of the expectations that we came into the season with, you know, we're, we, we need to get oh, get over that. Like, I mean, the fact that the Yankees raced out so much and they might, you know, the Blue Jays may not be on pure talent very far off from the Yankees. They're not. They're certainly not winning the division like everybody seemed to predict they were going to though i don't think anybody thought it was going to be a cakewalk i think everybody thought it was going to be four teams real close i think the early projections were like all like four teams and then the orioles were at the bottom and obviously they've upended that but and 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 you know you kind of just have to recalibrate but also yeah losing i mean falling behind the orioles would have would have been you know calling for the gm's head kind of territory and and we were in a little bit of that place. We, you know, we talked about some job security stuff and, and how it's going to go. And, and, and you know, two wins later, and you feel pretty all right about about that, or better at least. Uh, and you know, it would have been tough to tough to tell anybody not to, you know that they're wrong for thinking the worst at that moment. And I I really don't like telling people that the, that are thinking the worst that they're right. But uh, it just. It just symbolically would have been uh, a real a real nightmare, and and oh god, the discourse would have been awful. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the benefit of knowing the future, so it's impossible for us to, <laughs> with confidence, pinpoint exactly where these turning points are. But that sure felt like a, a fork in the road, like that. You know, getting swept by the Orioles, wasting that start, um, all of it. I think that there would have been you know a real. If there wasn't already a malaise uh, sitting around the team, I think that would have been it would have been really bad. And I know that on this podcast, like we try to be on the reasonable side and we try and take the long view, perhaps more than the people who are listening a lot of the time. Uh, And I hope that that can be comforting to people who are feeling bad about the team at times. But I would have had a really hard time coming on tonight if, say, they had lost that game, even after this win, potentially, uh, and they had come in in that state and to say, 
let's take the long view, let's be reasonable. Like, you know, we're pretty damn deep into the season. And I, I do think that there is that alternate timeline where that game goes wrong. And yeah, I mean, from a discourse point of view, all hell would have undoubtedly broken loose. But you could even say from a, you know, from a competitive standpoint, you know, falling out of the playoffs would have been brutal. And, you know, it's now they're in by a game and a half. And that is, you know, that's not a huge margin by any means, but it feels a lot different. And, you know, they're only a game back of that coveted top wildcard spot as we talked today. And, and it's not like they were literally far from that point uh, when we spoke last, but it, it feels like, uh, you know, I'm you know, more of a facts and logic guy than a feels guy, but it sure felt like they were a long way from being one game from that point when we were recording last. Yeah, absolutely. And if that game yesterday had gone the wrong way, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big momentum guy. And I know that people will talk about momentum in sports and even, you know, from a bat to a bat and game to game. But I mean, do they win this one if that happens? Is the, you know, you can't, you can't answer that question, obviously, but it, it's, uh, uh, it just it, it felt like a, a real sigh of relief to finally get some runs and break through and not waste that start and not have the bad thing happen again. You know, I mean, I, the, the, I say again because there's been bad thing, but that would have been that would that would have been way up there a Ross Stripling perfect game bid, and you can't scratch out a, a, a run. It, it 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 was on a knife's edge for a while there. Uh, and it just would have felt like a microcosm of this season of just, you know, just not executing despite having the talent, despite being better than your opponent. And it would have, you know, the, I don't know how much of that bleeds into the room and how much of that bleeds into performance, but those guys are human too. They know what their performance looks like. They know what standings look like. And, uh, yeah, it would have been tough to, to try to dust yourself off and go forward, I think. And, and, you know, they all say the right things and they try to, get personalities who, you know, are, will be less affected by those kind of things and try to, you know, keep the even keel and all that stuff. But whew, that would, that would have been tough. And especially then you're looking at four games against the Yankees and then, you know, Barrios on the Hill, who obviously was great today, but you know, you know, there's, there's definitely uncertainty there. And, uh, it would have been a, it would have been a real spot. And I, I think calling that a fork in the road is, uh, is, is probably accurate. I mean, like, like you said, we can't, we can't know, but that was obviously just the, the exhale of it all of, of like, of the house of cards not collapsing was, uh, was, was, was very positive. Very, very positive. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a good chance that that Springer hit gets sort of forgotten because we're always drawn to the latest thing and there might be something more dramatic to happen down the line. And we saw last year how close these things can be at the end. But yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance that was part of it. As you said, as much as you want to build a team of people who are even keel and are able to you know, navigate the highs and lows, you're not going to have a team of all Alejandro Kirks uh, at the end of the day. I mean, that would be, they've had bad outfield defense in the past. That would be special. You're going to have some human beings with emotions in there. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'm being unfair to Alejandro Kirk. Maybe behind <laughs> closed doors, there's a real fire there. That's what they, that's uh, what they say, though, is that he, he really slows the game down and has the low, the, the low heartbeat or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think that the the public conversation can come sometimes lean too far into that sort of interpersonal stuff and emotional stuff that it's hard to speculate on. And I think that's why generally we kind of hesitate to speculate on that stuff. But it's also foolish to pretend like it totally doesn't exist. 
And that felt like a moment in that vein where that would have been important. It, I mean, just, yeah, as a human being, it's just like, I don't know, like, what? Yeah, you, you wouldn't be real pleased about going and doing your job the next day after, you know, all of this and, and firing the manager to, to pick up the spirits of the team and doing okay and then still sliding out of the playoffs behind the fucking Orioles. Like, and, it, you know, it, I, 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 you know, they're well compensated to not get caught up in stuff like that, but it, it's it's tough. And I do th- I think you're right on a, on a, a a bunch of levels about how there's I see it on Twitter especially. There is a lot, and and just when you talk to anybody who's not like super brain poisoned, like like more casual of a fan, uh, there's a lot of gleaning stuff from body language and 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 you know. Uh, putting themselves in the shoes of players, which, uh, which is a, a folly, I would say quite often, but, but that would have been a situation that would have been really tough. All right. Well, that's luckily for the Blue Jays, not a situation they have to deal <laughs> right. with tonight. Um, we do not have a schedule for you yet for next week, but we will get that to you. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening in live, whoever listens after the fact, and we'll get you a couple times next week and we'll figure out when that is. All right. Thanks, everybody.